Alan Kring Productions, in association with the Emergent Light Studio, presents the Illinois State Collegiate Compendium, Academic Lectures in Business and Economics. This is Business Finance, FIL 240 for Spring Semester 2023. Today, financial markets. Before I do that, a few brief uh, mentions. First things first is that you do have a surprise quiz on Wednesday, so please be surprised by that. It will cover the syllabus and content from the uh, lecture today and the lecture that was on Wednesday of last week. Uh, also, and I sent out an email message about this, my uh, education uh, website now has the first lecture that was on Wednesday for you to review, and I'll just make sure that you know where to go to get that. isu-prof.com. Well, if I'd spell it right, that would be real. That'd be great. There you go. Now your section is section two, right there. It is. Now you can just click on the link and it will play in your native, uh, your computer's native player. Okay, so there's that. I've still got some updating to do. If you don't want to be on my creepy site, you can always get them on Apple iTunes. They're right here. And the, I, I was just kind of blown away. It was within seconds of uploading them to my own site, Apple iTunes had grabbed and found them and put them in my album here, the Illinois State Collegiate Compendium. So you can listen to them here. So there's no reason why you can't spend all of your time listening to my lectures. When you're eating, when you're sleeping, when you're going to the bathroom, it'll be, I'll be there with you. Okay, that may sound not as exciting as I wanted it to, but the heck with you. Listen to the lectures though. You will be surprised at how much content, if you hold your, have your notes open, you'll see your missing things that I said in your notes. This helps fill that in and helps you produce a much stronger study guide for the exams and the quizzes. And I forgot to mention this, the quizzes, my quizzes are always open note. So <clears throat> that's there for you. Don't rely on that too much because you'll run out of time trying to search through your notes. But if you have these podcasts, it helps you organize the notes that you have in a much more logical fashion than just writing, rap, writing furiously when you're on this, uh, on this, uh, the cl in the class. But um, part of what I do here is, as I said on uh, last week, I'm going to teach you how to look at markets. And uh, the lecture today and on Wednesday is about markets. But I'm talking about financial markets, financial investments, how you look at the stock markets and the bond markets and the commodity markets. And I'm going to teach you terminology, so make sure you write things down here. But I will be doing this every day from now on until you get to the point where you can know enough that you don't have to listen to these talking heads on on TV and on the internet. I'm, uh, and I don't really particularly care to do this, but I use Yahoo, Yahoo Finance because the special sites are just a little bit more difficult to access from these computers. But here what you see is Yahoo Finance, the numbers for the day. A couple of things to start with, some terminology here. Well, first of all, if a market, if markets are optimistic, or you are an optimist about a stock or the economy or whatever, we say that you are bullish. You are a bull. Okay? If you are pessimistic, or if the market is pessimistic, you think things are going to go down, then you're a bear. And you say this with emphasis. Now, when stocks go up, that's a bullish day. When stocks go down, that's a bear day. That's a bearish day or a bear day. 
And another thing is we don't care about absolute numbers. All we care about are percentage changes. Think about this. You, madam, invest $10 and you make a dollar. That's a lot different than if you invested $100 and made a dollar. See, we can't care about the numbers themselves. You have these, it's constantly in the news. The Dow Jones went down 700 points. Oh my God. That's actually pretty true. Not very impressive at all. You look at the percentage change, okay? I gained, well, you know, think about it in your own life. You, you, you sir, uh, well, you, sir, you realize, my God, I gained five pounds. That's terrible. But then, wait a minute, I weigh 150, so that's not that bad at all. Use a percentage. That'll make you feel better inside. <laughs> but still, watch your weight. <laughs> okay, anyway. I, I'm telling that to you, I, uh, the thin man himself. Okay, yeah, I, I fight weight all the time. It wins. Anyway, okay, so now for today, you, madam, is this a bull day or a bear day? Not bull. Bull. You gotta say bull. Yeah, but you're not gonna say bull. you can't get it. We need emphasis. You know, we gotta have no one contradicts us. So if you say bull day, no one's gonna say, well, wait a minute. No, you're right though. Green bull, red bear. Okay. Matter of fact, I'll have a speaker come in and talk about bull markets here on Wednesday. But uh. And you can see that these percentages, you notice that this market, see those spark charts, the spark lines or spark charts? And those are very fun. And I'll show, be showing you how to do those in Excel for yourself, these little mini charts, mini graphs. But you see that the market actually started out very bullish. You see that run right there? And then it leveled off, and there was a little more bull activity, but now the bears have come in and they're grabbing. We oftentimes say that's profit taking, okay? The markets went up and some traders are just gonna cash in and get out and that causes the market to ease back off. Now, another thing, markets are driven by the news of the minute, of the hour. If it happened yesterday, it means nothing to us whatsoever because that was, we traded on that yesterday. Today is what happened today. So there was some good news before the market opened that pulled the markets up pretty hard. The bulls came in to impound that good news. And then there was no more news, so everything just kind of settled off. And then there was a little more kind of mildly good news. And then the profit takers came in. No more good news. Some stocks are overvalued. Let's just get rid of those and take our money and run. So you're seeing this kind of end of the day profit taking. We're nearing the end of the day now. Well, not really. We're getting close, but there's some end of the day profit taking going on here. Now, look at these three up here. S&P 500, the Dow 30, and the NASDAQ. The first two are indexes. You can always tell an index because it has a number after it. These are just theoretical portfolios of a bunch of stocks. The S&P 500, 500 big, huge company stocks. The Dow 30, 30 of the largest companies in the world. They are sort of like taking a pulse. This is like we take a sampling to get the pulse of a certain part of the market. So I would maybe take the average weight of U3 and I say, oh, yeah. I take the average weight of U3. I learned, I, I, I did make it this far in my life talking about weight when <laughs> uh, the average weight of U3. And I say, well, that's a sampling of people in the class in the age group from about 20 to 23, something like that. So in other words, these indexes give us a pulse. So in other words, Dow 30 is telling us about what is happening to the, how are the largest companies of the world reacting to the news of the day? And then the Dow 500, somewhat smaller, but still ginormous corporations. How is the news of the day affecting them? The S&P 500, those 500 companies, 
they represent about two-thirds of the total value of the world, equity-wise. So they are actually a pretty broad measure of what the world is feeling today, right now. The NASDAQ is a completely different animal. That's an exchange. Now, the NYSC, the New York Stock Exchange, is big, big companies. That's that trading floor you might have seen in movies where everyone's yelling in an open cry at each other and papers are flying and all that kind of stuff. That's the NYSC. It's a, a big, big companies, thousands and thousands and thousands of them trading all the time. Now, the NASDAQ, interestingly enough, is the smallest company, small companies, called the small caps. Tens, maybe hundreds of thousands, mostly small, scrappy, aggressive companies that are fighting for their position. They're public companies. So in other words, the Dow 30 would be the safer company, the, most, the safest. Whither goes the world, these companies go. It moves up and down. Bleh, bleh. The 500, they're oftentimes scrappier, fighting, they're monopolistic competitors, if you've learned that term from your economics classes or from some other class. They're fighters, but they're big, big fighters. So they're a little riskier. So they'll tend to be more sensitive. And then the NASDAQ, that's gonna be the most volatile because those are the ones that are the small ships in the big stormy sea. So as you can see, <coughs> The Dow went up the least today, 0.43%. The S&P 500 went up more because the news, they were more sensitive. And then the NASDAQ, it went up almost 1.5% today. It reacted the most to the bullish environment of the day. So as you can see, and this pattern, oftentimes you'll see this, Dow moves the least, S&P in the middle, and then the NASDAQ the most. What really is weird is not that pattern, but when the pattern isn't there. Sometimes you'll see the NASDAQ took a toilet break and then the Dow went up. Well, that would probably mean that there was some good news that affects huge companies, but it's bad news for small companies. Like for example, usually if Congress changes the tax code, it's bad news for everyone but the biggest companies on earth and the little companies get their butts kicked by it. Okay, now, the Russell 2000. <coughs> this is just one of tens of thousands of indexes. I mean, Russell 2000, Russell 1000, Wiltshire 500, PIMCO, Fidelity. Uh, I mean, there are all kinds of these, and they really are kind of like mishmashes. Unless you really have a reason to keep an eye on them, they're not giving you the pulse of the world. Although some of these indexes do are industry-specific indexes, and so they could tell you the pulse of an industry. But you'll see me ignore the Russell 2000 for the most part because it doesn't really tell me anything that these are not going to tell me. Now, these are all financial markets. They're stocks or bonds. And then I'll show you another, the bond market here in a minute. As opposed to financial markets as opposed to commodity or physical markets. Oil is a thing, it's a physical animal. It is a, something that is there in reality and it has value intrinsic to it. A share of stock doesn't have intrinsic value, really. The, the, it's paper or el electrons these days. Oil, on the other hand, is a real thing. Now, when you see this, this is just one crude oil index. This is light, uh, sweet Brent. Uh, crude oil comes in all kinds of varieties. Many years ago, I worked with uh, Wildcatters down in Texas. And uh, when this Brent, light, sweet, this is the stuff that comes out of Saudi Arabia. It's very, it's very thin. It has a beautiful look to it. Some of it's even almost a golden color. The stuff we pulled out of the oil patch in Texas with this horrible, ugly tar, uh, sour, we call it sour Texas crude. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, the, the, and it stunk like hell. It's millions of year old dinosaur farts and all that and vegetables. But, uh, so, but crude oil, 
So in other words, this is a movement of price movement of one grade of crude oil, and there are many. And this is a volatile market. Last semester, you remember when the prices were so damn high on gasoline last semester? Well, that was because of supply disruptions coming out of the uh, conflict, Russia's aggression against uh, Ukraine, uh, and all that kind of stuff. And so the supplies were restricted. Supply goes down, prices go up. And you, you got to fight this urge to listen to these idiot conspiracy theorists and all that. No, it was just what happens when there is a conflict in a region where a commodity has a lot, delivers a lot, produces a lot of supply. Now, crude oil right now, it closed, it's down a little bit. It's 81.48. Now, it got up as far as 125, 130. It was way up there. And of course, gasoline prices went up as a result. And I told the students that it was going to come down. It did as more and more countries figured out how to get around the sanctions against Russia and its oil and all that. And so it came down. It got down in the 70s. Now, you notice in the last week or two, price of gas has gone back up. The best that I, from what I am getting from uh, the industry, the trade people, is that, okay, when oil is brought out of the ground, that's called the hydrocarbon, and we produce hydrocarbon products. Have you ever driven up towards Chicago and you see there on that one side of the road up toward near Chicago that oil refinery? You notice those towers that are sticking up? Those are cracking towers. Now cracking towers are where the crude is brought up through, heated at different temperatures, and then it's pulled off. Now the distillates are diesel, kerosene, jet fuel, things like that. Gasoline is something else. So in other words, if there is a spike in demand for diesel or jet fuel, which there is now as our economy is getting its feet under it, then that means that we're going to get more of that crude turned into those uh, distillates. That brings down the supply that is being produced of gasoline. So we're seeing a little bit of a price rise in gasoline right now. And it's mostly because they're trying to fill up the supply chains for the jets and for the trucks right now. It's relatively temporary unless something really goes sideways in uh, uh, the Russia-Ukraine conflict. We'll still stay in a band, and I am, I'm still thinking that we're probably going to stay in a band of about 79 to 85 for the foreseeable future. And we'll look at it every day so that you can see it too. Now, commodities, we'll go over here and we'll look at a couple more. But one thing that I want to show you, oh, well, gold and silver. Now, they're both physical things. They have intrinsic value in themselves. They are not very similar in one regard. Gold is affected much more by speculators, what we call the gold bugs, those uh, crazies who buy gold when they think the world is going to hell and then they dump it when, they're, uh, when they think everything's okay. So gold tends to have that extra clientele for trading in it that makes it more volatile. Silver, on the other hand, it is more stable simply because its primary uses are industrial and cosmetic, jewelry and all that. So you won't see it behaving like gold does. And really, if you're going to trade in these markets, you have to become more of a specialist. And truth, honestly, I'm just not that much of a specialist in those. Yeah, go. Um, what's like the unit of measurement they're using for gold? Like $1,900 for like how much gold? Ounce. Per pound? Ounce. Okay. Ounce per ounce. I mean, back in the day, uh, we had a heart attack at $25 an ounce, and now, you know, it's, it's found a much higher level. But gold is definitely more speculative because uh, sometimes it will be bought as an inflation hedge, and it will be bought if you think the zombie apocalypse is going to happen. Silver, you don't do that nearly so much. Once in a while, you have speculators charge in there for a while, and they disrupt every, the quiet of the market. But now let me show you over here, the 10-year bond. Bonds are safer than stocks, okay? In general, 
So if investors are scared, they'll run to bonds. But there's a problem with these bond numbers. These are bond, not bond prices, they're bond yields. The yield is exactly mathematically inversely related to the price. So if I see bond prices going up, bond yields going up, which I see here, that means that the bond prices went down. If I see bond prices going down, that means that the bond yields are going up. I'll say this over and over. You'll get used to it, and we'll even see the math. We'll, you'll learn how to price bonds and find their yields. It's really easy on a cal calculator. If you do it by hand, it's way too much like work. But uh, if you're doing it on a calculator, it's just boom, and you get your answers. And you'll see, change the price, you see the yield go the opposite way. Change the yield, you see the price go the opposite way. So what you're seeing there is that bond prices are, this is one index, 10-year bonds, 10-year government bonds. The bond prices, the bond yields are up for the day. Well, that would mean that the prices went down. Well, if the prices go down, that would mean that investors are getting rid of bonds. They're selling them. Well, what's happening to that money? Oh, well, spank me Jesus. That's where the money's going, it's into the stocks. The investors, it's a bull day. Why are they going to keep safe stuff if they can make money grabbing riskier stuff? So they're going to sell their bonds, driving the prices down and the yields up, and that money's going to go over there and buy equities. Equities is a fancy name for stocks. Okay? You don't say, buy, buy stock. Uh, look, think about it this way. Think about it this way. Um, you, sir, you go into a finance singles bar. Someone sits, comes up next to you, well, what do you do for investments? You say, well, I invest in stocks. You're going to go home alone. But if you say, well, I trade in equities, <laughs> you'll go home with a friend. <laughs> we say, I'm going to, actually, there's a reason why you want to use a little bit more sophisticated terms. If you do decide that you're going to do trading, <coughs> and you talk with professionals, you talk with your broker, Using the right terminology puts you on another, a different level. And I can say this from my own experience. When you say the terminology, their terminology, you're going to be treated a little bit differently from if you, <coughs> excuse me, that from if you just use the common terminology. So anyway, oh, mm. ah, Smirnoff is good in coffee. Uh, where the hell was? Oh, okay, so now you've seen this. And I'll talk to you about, these are exchange rates, and I'll talk to you later about those. If you really are interested in international business and trading, by all means, think about taking my FIL 344 class. I'm teaching it this semester. I, uh, when I teach it, uh, you learn a lot about exchange rates and what they tell you about the world and the world's politics and economy. But let me go over here. These are two, see their indexes, see the number after them? These are two uh, indexes. This one is London, 100 large stocks on the London Exchange, the FTSC. This is the Financial Times 100. It's an index, and it's sort of like this is a measure of the overall behavior of the London Exchange. This one is the Nikkei 225, 225 large stocks that measure the pulse of the Tokyo Exchange. Now, this one happened last night. While we were all asleep, the Tokyo Exchange was open. And you see that it had a nice, smooth, there was just one good news after another after another, just pushing that market up very confidently through the day. It finished up a really decent 1.33%, one and a third percent for the day. Now, as the sun was setting in Japan, the market closing, it was coming up in Europe and then in London. And then the London exchange opened. 
And um, I think it's probably closed by, yeah, it's closed, it's closed now. But it just closed. But notice how there was a bullish run. There was a little bear hit there. And then once it peaked out, then the profit taking took over. Again, did you notice that that's what happened in our exchanges too? There was some really strong news that got the markets opening in a, bear, in a bull mood and pushed it up. And then the profit takers came in, the bears, and took away some of the candy from the lunchbox. And that's just sort of sometimes that happens that way. But there was generally good sentiment. One last thing that I want to point out here is just, and I said this already, and I want to make sure you emphasize this. Markets don't care about news that has already happened. The markets are moving from minute to minute. It's like a, an ocean of sharks. Any bit of information is they're going to grab it and they're going to impound it in the price with a sell or a buy order. That's just how it works. Millions of traders, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of them having the best equipment, the best analytics humans could possibly imagine. And they're trading minute to minute. So the news that's pushing this market up, news that's more than a few minutes, maybe a few hours old, is worthless. You can't trade on it. It's not going to... It's not going to do you any good to try to play that because the big dogs have already done it, uh, have already moved on it. So as you see these markets moving, they're moving on news that is pouring in minute to minute to minute, and they're not looking back. That's not how we do it in our world. They're looking forward. They're looking at what's about to happen. That's how it works in our world. So now I've taken you through a little bit of that, and we're going to do this every day until you get sick of it. And um, now I'm going to go to a couple of actual screens of stocks. Now I caution that this is Yahoo Finance. So these screens can have numbers that are delayed. Some are delayed more than others, so sometimes you see things that are kind of a mishmash and crazy and all of that kind of stuff. But it's still, we can look at these numbers and we can get some information about these stocks. So now, we can look, I, I, I'm cautious about asking you to tell me a stock to pull up because someone's going to call Tesla. <laughs> and I, I'll talk about Tesla here in a minute because it's a very good cautionary tale. But taking that one off the table, Anyone got a good stock that might, you would want to see? Microsoft? MSFT. Now I'm going to show you something here. Microsoft has four letters in its trading symbol. That means it trades on the NASDAQ. It's one of those weird giants that trades with, on the same exchange as all the little guys. But MSFT, that is a NASDAQ stock. If it's three, two, or one letter, it's either an NYSC, a New York Stock Exchange, or an Amex stock, an American Stock Exchange stock. So the four letters tell me this is a NASDAQ stock. And as you can see, NASDAQ right there. Now Microsoft was up, oh, it's, oh we're still trading, that's right. Okay, 0.86%. Not quite a full percent. Now, if something is less than a quarter of a percent, I mean, that's you know, nothing, really. Once you get past that, then either up or down, you, yeah, you've got something that's it's clearly it's reacting to the news in a positive way. This was a good news day. Some of the traders that I've, well, all the traders that I've talked to in the last 24 hours think we're going to have a good, strong week. So there's a lot of bullish sentiment out there, and Microsoft is participating in it. Now, right here, <clears throat> when the bell rang last yesterday afternoon at 3.30 on the East Coast, 4.30 on the East Coast, 3.30 here, uh, the stock closed at 240.22. The last trade was at a price of $240.22 per share. Now, when it opened this morning, you noticed that it was up. That would mean overnight, buy and sell orders are coming in. They just don't execute. So, 
as well, some of them do, but that's another thing. So when the bell opened, there was an imbalance of buy over sell. That's why you saw the price when the bell rang pop, because the buys were running above the sells on the stock. Okay, so you saw a little bit of a pop on the opening bell. Now, right now the bid is for 242.46, and the ask is 242.51. What that means is that if you sell Microsoft stock, you will get 242 dollars and 46 cents per share. If you want to buy Microsoft stock, that's the ask. You would pay 242.51. That bid ask spread sometimes is very small, sometimes it's very wide. Why is that there? Well, it's because we have the trade, the broker has to make a nickel. So you sell me your stock, well, I'll buy it from you for 242.46. And then you decide that you're going to purchase some stock. I'm going to take her shares and I'll sell them to you for 242.51. Okay? That's the bid ask spread. <clears throat> that number right up there might not really mean a whole lot. We'll use it because it's a quick reference number. Okay? But I mean, what will really happen if you're trading? Notice something. If you buy Microsoft, instantly you're in the hole five cents a share. Just as soon as you buy it, you can't dump it at the price you bought it at. You will pay, you will get less. So you've got to have that stock go up just to break even. Because if it goes up, the bid and ask will go up and eventually your bid will get up high enough that it will cover what you paid at the ask. Uh, days range. That would be, it's 239.65 to 245.16. So that would probably mean, well, that's interesting because if I'm looking at this, there must have been a hell of a dip somewhere in there. I don't see that dip. Huh, interesting. It says it's somewhere today. That stock got down as low as 239.65. And there, that's where it hit its peak at 245.16. And you notice that it held that peak, and then it just sort of suffered what was happening with the overall market. The bears were kind of shedding some of their portfolio there. But still, now, this is the 52-week. Over the past year, You've seen Microsoft as low as 239.65, well, I'm sorry, 213.43, and as high as 315.95. That 213 was probably that trough right there. You see it? And then over the past year, the peak was this guy up here. Now, that has meaning to some analysts. Because they'll say, okay, if we're in a bull market, Microsoft has shown the ability to get as high as 315 a share. Right now, it's near its low, actually. See, 242.40 is actually closer to the low than the high. So I'm looking at this and I'm saying to myself, you know, this actually could probably have some upside potential. I mean, that's one of those things. It's sort of like a technical elf, what we call an elf uh, me measure. But it, it's one of those things where it, it's shown the ability to reach well above 300. So the fact that it's down there might mean that it's somewhat undervalued right now. It's sort of like on a given day. On a given day, you, sir, you get out of bed and you're like, I gotta go to work. But one day I saw you fly out of your window in a Superman outfit, blasted the window out. I saw it only once. Of course, you fell right to the ground, broke your ass. But at the same time, now I know that you have the ability to do that. And that's what that peak kind of tells us. It doesn't do that all the time, but sometimes maybe it has that ability to do that. 
So uh, now, moving down here, this is volume. This is how many shares traded today. Now, I will explain to you that later that this is just on balance volume. A lot more tra shares trade, but they trade in the dark markets. And those aren't on the books. They're off balance uh, trades. But on balance, 23.7 million traded. The average day over the last year, almost 31 million traded. So this was a light trading day on Microsoft. It wasn't as strong as the usual day over the past year. That's what that means. Now, see this market cap right here? That 1.806 trillion? That is the market's assessment of the value of ownership in Microsoft. That's called the market cap or the market capitalization. It's the price per share times the number of common stock shares outstanding. It's the measure, market's assessment of the ownership value, total ownership value of Microsoft, $1.806 trillion. Now, let me show you something real quick here. Let's look at Apple, its market cap. $2.2 trillion. Let's look at Alphabet, that's Google. $1.3 trillion. In just three companies, I've shown you $5 trillion of market value. In the top five, the top 100 companies, there is more value than all of the people on Earth combined have in value. So, you know, there was a time probably someone told you that you're the most special person, you're so valuable. They lied. That's unfortunate. We are not even the size of atoms in an ocean. We're on the scale of quarks and leptons and intermediate vector bosons. We are completely irrelevant to this. We are not going to change this. We are not going to move these markets. We are just going to ride the waves, grab the scraps off the bottom, and in the end, remember what happened to the dinosaurs. It was those little disgusting furry creatures that want. But for the time being, take out of your mind the idea that this, we, are, we matter in this world. We matter in our own world and to our people and to our tribe if we want to. But in this world, nah, this is a world of big dogs. I'm going to show you something here. You see this beta? This is our preferred measure of the risk of a stock in a well-diversified portfolio. This is the beta is the measure of the risk of a stock in a well-diversified portfolio. Beta is the measure of the risk of a stock in a well-diversified portfolio. 1.00 is the fulcrum. We designed this measure so that 1.00 is the risk of the market portfolio. In other words, this if you own all of the stocks in the world, its beta would be 1. So every stock can be measured at relative, its risk relative to the world. And I see here with Microsoft, see how it's below 1? So that would tell us that Microsoft is a relatively safe stock. It's not as risky as the world's economy. It, on average, you could say that it moves up and down about 93% of the world's movements up and down overall. Now let's look at another one. Let's look at Apple again, AAPL. Oh dear, that's a risky stock. 
That's well above one. You think Apple's a safe company to invest in? This is telling you no. Why? It's the same thing that's happening with Netflix. We, we ask the question, how long can Apple keep playing the same uh, trick on the pony? How many, every time they come out with a new iPhone, it's nothing but a minor variation on the one before. They're living off the craze of their dedicated fans. Netflix is in a similar situation. We're asking ourselves on Netflix, how it can't, how can it keep growing if it has absorbed almost all of the subscribers that it will ever get? The only thing it can do is keep jacking up prices, but it's getting competitors that'll undercut the hell out of it. It can't penetrate more markets because it pretty much penetrated every corner of the planet. So those would be riskier stocks. Let me show you what this one. Let's look at Kellogg. K. Ooh, 0.44, very safe. Why? Because it sells staple goods, cornflakes, cereal, things like that, the things that are basic to us. So of course it's going to be safe because it doesn't go into risky ventures. And it's so large that even if it did, it would be a minor, minor part of the company's overall business profile. So. We'll see a stock like that looking very safe. As Tesla. Holy! What do you see there? A beta that is not just above one, it's above two. Now, that is, that is scary risky. You buy Tesla, well, you have just bought yourself a front seat on the bull in a rodeo. Highly volatile, highly risky, and its price, I mean, it's plummeted. Well, let's have a look here. When it became a love child of Wall Street and then nosedive, and this is exactly what I'm going to teach you about, the difference between the market price and the intrinsic value. Objective analysts, we look at the intrinsic value, that long-run value of a corporation. Markets trade on the news of the minute, so they are short-term. Those prices are short-term. In our world, we need you to know how to deal with the long run, because that's where you're going to spend the rest of your lives, making investments for yourself, for your family, for your corporation, for your retirement. So we have to look at that intrinsic value, that whisper that is underneath the storm of the ocean on a day. That's why when you look at the underlying intrinsic numbers, Tesla was a screaming warning shot. This is going to go down. And so even as a good trader, if you want to do more, quick, uh, more shorter term trades, when is it going to go down? That's the hard part to tell. We know that it was, we, a lot of us knew it was going to go down. But timing, eh, that's a little difficult. So I want to emphasize again, that difference between the intrinsic value and the market value of a stock. The market value is the moment to moment. The intrinsic value is the long run. So a stock can be overvalued in the moment. Based, uh, compared to its intrinsic, or it can be undervalued. Let me give you a real example. Madam, you, you're my daughter. I know, I know, but easy, easy. You are a disappointment to me. <laughs> my God, what you've been doing? Gee, silly, I thought your friend was named Molly. No, that was what you were selling. Uh, and getting you, bailing you out that time when you got involved with that biker gang? Good God. Although I do give you credit for smashing that biker guy's head with a bottle of Guinness. But that's not the long-term you. The long-term you has much more value. That's why in a given moment, 
you guys can be terrible F-ups, but at the same time, I'm playing for the long run. It was like in the Army. They were, the drill sergeant called me a maggot and a piece of shit. And I, you know, that was when he was complimenting me. But he also knew that in the long run, we would become soldiers. Some of us would even become warriors. And that's the, what we see in stocks. You have to ignore the noise and look for the underlying whisper that tells us which way it's going to go over a longer period of time. Just like we do with people, like we do with our kids, like we do with our friends. And so that's, what's the, that's the difference in a nutshell between market value and intrinsic value. The market value of Tesla, was it was overvalued. I mean, uh, it was overvalued AF, but in the long run, it was going to find its place. And sure enough, that, you know, he of the cloven hoof has shown once again, as he has over and over in his life, that he can't do it. And sooner or later, the owners, the ones for whom he is their bitch, are going to slap him down. And then they're going to make him a figurehead and fix whatever the hell is fixable in his, in his brilliant adventures. And I, I'm not opinionated, by the way. <laughs> I, but th therein lies what we do as traders. Now we all, I, a lot of us do uh, this quick, dirty trading, and I do it every day. Uh, well, not every day, I'm not a day trader, but at the same time, over our responsible, mature, professional, adult lives, we have to be adults and we have to look at that longer term. Now, let me tell you, a, a little, get a, a little more depth into some of what I have just been discussing with you here. Markets. And if I'm not writing large enough for you in the back, let me know, and I'll write even bigger. But markets, okay, the first, I, 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 this is sort of like a recap and some extensions of what I just told you about. In markets, there are physical markets versus financial markets. Crude is a physical market. You buy bread at the store, that's a physical market. Stocks are financial. In a, very, in a very real sense, stock doesn't have an internal value to it. You can't eat a stock. You can't build a house with a stock. So they have almost, they, they're just like vapor. Physical, and another word you'll hear me use sometimes is commodity. Commodity. They have something that can be used. Uh, that tends to make them a very different, have very different behaviors fundamentally from financials. Financials can whip very hard up and down. Commodities tend to be a little bit slower because there's always something in the pipeline and there are all these dynamics. With a financial market, it's just a bunch of electrons that can move at the speed of light. A loaf of bread has to go from the field as wheat to the granary, to the manufacturer, to the store shelf, to your uh, home. So there's a different dynamic in them. And I'll talk about that in this, in this class to some extent because we can securitize physical things. We can make them into financial instruments or we can base a financial instrument on a physical thing. We do that all the time. It's what we do. Now, another one that I'm going to bring up here, and this is where I deviate a little bit from the book and one of the terms that they use here, and it's kind of the difference between someone who is into this and someone who writes it as an academic, as they do. There is the spot market versus, now the book calls the other one the futures market. That's not correct, technically. It's called the forward market. Futures are a type of forward, 
Let me explain. You, madam, go to the gas station and you buy gas at $3.39 a gallon. You're paying spot, what the price is right now. A forward market is where there's an agreement made to buy at a specific price from a supplier at some point in the future. So for example, Kellogg could make an agreement with a granary. In six months, we, will, we wish to buy 50,000 bushels of corn at $3.50 per bushel. That $3.50 is a forward price. So that means that in six months, regardless of the spot price of corn, Kellogg will pay the granary $350. Now the spot could be above or below that, so there might be a little bit of a winner or a loser in this. But both of the parties to a forward agreement win because an uncertainty has been taken out of their calculations. Both sides know what's going to happen in six months. Kellogg knows that an expense of 50,000 times $3.50 will occur. It will occur. The granary knows that it will receive revenue of $3.50 times 50,000 bushels. Both sides of the agreement have, have basically gold. They, have, they can predict the future with perfect accuracy with the forward contract. They've made the deal six months in advance. You can't even get that kind of reliance out of a psychic. Now, here's, <coughs> and forward contracts are extraordinarily common. As a matter of fact, you're going to live in a world of forward contracts. Your first, uh, your first job, sir, that first job of yours, they're going to give you a salary. You sign that contract, you signed a forward. Because then you and the company know for the next year if you live, make it that long in the company, exactly what is going to be paid. Not the spot. Wages could go through the roof, but they, that would be spot. They don't have to pay spot. They're paying forward. Wages could collapse. And then, but you know you're going to get what that contract says you're going to get. So it's a classic forward contract. It's, a, it's actually a chain forward contract. And yeah, these are very typical out there. As a matter of fact, one of the, uh, I, I, God, there's so many places where you can uh, do this. Uh, in international finance, when, when a company buys from overseas, they, you, a lot of times they will work with a forward contract. We shall buy at this. We'll buy your bottles of wine for 10 euro per bottle. Well, what happens if the dollar to euro fluctuates. Well, that would be a problem because you've got a forward contract that locks in a, a currency exchange rate volatility. So you have to find a hedge for it. But never mind that. Do know, though, that forward contracts are very common. And as a matter of fact, rent is a forward contract. If you sign a one-year lease, you have agreed to a forward contract. You are one of the parties to a forward. Delivery of housing services in exchange for money at a specific price for 12 consecutive periods. Forwards are all over the place. Now, the book uses the term futures here. Futures are actually a type of forward. They're highly structured with de delivery dates, delivery amounts, uh, and you can't change those. Forwards are just custom, whatever the parties agree to. Futures are a much different animal, and God, are they dangerous. Don't play in the futures con unless you really know what you're doing. Okay, now, here's an interesting one. Primary versus secondary. Now, this one, when you buy and sell stock, you are in the secondary market. All you're doing is trading with another investor. That's all you're doing. The company has nothing whatsoever to do with this. Not a thing, in general. The primary market, 
Well, Facebook is doing an IPO. Facebook did its IPO. You should get in on the IPO. You're not going to get in on an IPO. No, the IPO is not yours. You don't buy stock from Facebook. They will make an arrangement with what's called an investment bank, actually a syndicate of investment banks. The investment banks agree with Facebook that they will buy the entire issue. Then they sell it. So you're not buying in the primary market. Generally speaking, the investment bankers will buy the issue, the whole block of stock that Facebook's selling. Now, they will work with people like you, rich, your, their rich clients and all of their, their own house account, and then they'll pump it up. They'll get those idiots on the news, financial news network, CBS, CNBC. Yeah, buy this stock. You'll get in on the IPO. That's bullshit. You're not getting in on any IPO. We're going to pump that stock up. We're going to get those people to push it up so that when we do dump it from our wealthy clients and from our house accounts, you're going to buy it at an overvalued price. We'll pump it up and then we'll drop it like a rock. If you buy anywhere near an IPO, you're an idiot anyway. Think about this. Okay, you, sir, you're an analyst, and I'm the president, CEO of Megacorp International. We've been talking about how we want to raise money through an IPO. So would you suggest that we do our IPO when the stock price is way up there or when the stock price is way down here? Why would I do that? I'd sell it when it's at its highest price. That's when I get the most money. If I can sell it at 60, but I know that there's going to be a trough at 20, I'm going to sell it to everyone at 60. You see, they're going to sell. They're, going to, they're signaling you. We are selling it because we think the stock is at near its peak. And then you, Cupcake, are going to buy it, and then it's going to drop through the floor, and you're going to be so poor, you can't afford the OR, so you're just po. Okay? Think about this. That's the problem, is that, you know, once you get into the secondary market, then market forces will be playing. Uh, getting it, trying, working it up and down, slowly over time, playing, bouncing around the intrinsic value. But when you do an I, when you're in the, I, the IPO phase, you're asking for it because the stock is going to be overpriced. That's the whole point. Why do we do that to you? Because we can. Does that sound harsh? Yeah. Okay, fine. I'm going to hell, but at least I'm going to have a good condo on the third level. Let me give you this one. Capital versus money. Look at here. I should like to borrow $20 from you, and I'll pay you back in a couple of weeks. What I'm doing here is I'm accessing the money market, short-term funds. I'm, a, I'm a, someone who wants to buy a house, and you're a bank. I should like to borrow the money on a 30-year loan. I'm accessing the capital markets. Capital markets are long-term funds. Money markets are short-term funds. Capital markets are long-term funds. Money markets are short-term funds. What's the delimiter? Probably a, a year. If the exchange is for a year or less, we say it's money. If the exchange is for more than a year, it's capital. So when a company issues a bond for $50 million, a 30-year bond, it's reaching into the capital markets. That's investors who don't want their money back for a long time. If I'm reaching for money that's for a short period of time, let me give you an example, as a matter of fact. There, there's this 
investment instrument, and almost no one outside of our world has ever even heard of it, commercial paper. Commercial paper is 30-day quick loans to giant corporations. Who Microsoft, we need $20 million for 30 days. They would issue commercial paper. The lenders, they don't want their money gone for more than 30 days. Typically, I mean, I teach a course in short-term cash management. Companies will get in a plop of money. They don't have to pay bills with it for a certain amount of time, so they're going to put it into these short-term money instruments. A common term, have you ever heard of money markets, money market mutual funds? Those are just short-term, where you're putting your money in, and then it is accessible by borrowers who need money for a very short period of time. That's what a mar money market is. Uh, it, it's just you're putting your money into something that can be accessed by others. A good example, who is accessing this money? Well, actually, the, here, here's one. I don't know if you've ever heard of the term sweep, S-W-E-E-P. They used to be available only to very, very wealthy people. And now, they, you can see if you can get a sweep. Think about it this way. Uh, you, sir, are a retailer. Every night at the end of your day, 5 o'clock, you take your pile of money and you take it to the bank and deposit it. Then the next morning, you go in a little before 8, get your money out for the day's transaction. Well, a sweep, the bank doesn't just put your money in a vault. What it does is it takes your money and all of these millions of other small amounts or big amounts, and they sweep them into the international market. And then that money fills up this bladder of money that is accessible by traders, by quick investment uh, gurus, and this is trillions of dollars. And then as 8 o'clock comes around, your money is sucked back out of that bladder for you. But on the other side of the world, money is going back into it. So at any given time, that sweep is this giant tank full of money. Well, I mean, super short-term money. And it, it, it's a huge, huge market. And what do you get out of it? Well, they're going to pay some interest. And so you get a little bit of scratch. Instead of having your money, you could have taken your money home and hid it under the mattress, but if you put it into a, a bank account that's a sweep, that sweeps it, it'll go out there and when it comes back. Now, maybe a little bit of money on any given day that you're making overnight, but over a period, a long period of time, that can be a pretty decent little thing. And you'd be irresponsible not to take advantage of a sweep. So these money markets, are a huge thing. They fuel the liquidity of the world, these money markets do. Long term, everyone thinks about these giant projects for years and years and all that. Well, actually, there is another market where for investors who don't want their money gone for very long at all. So they, they provide liquidity to the, these money markets. Now, where is that long-term going, though? That would be institutional investors, corporations like life insurance companies, uh, ginormous trust funds. They provide the, the funds for long-term. A company wants to borrow money for 30 years. That would come from some very long, some long hauler, like a life insurance company. They are going to, you know, that, did you know that you're going to die someday? But not tomorrow. Probably not for, in your case, your generation, you'll probably live to around 100, and, 100 110 years. So we, when you're paying me, my, a life insurance company, all those premiums, I'm not actuarially, I won't have to worry about giving it to your uh, bereaved relatives for a hundred, for a, almost a century. So yeah, there are places they get money in, 
but they are not going to have to pay it out for a very long time. And that would be the fuel for the capital markets, as opposed to the money markets, where it's for a short period of time and all of that kind of stuff. Interestingly enough, you are putting money right now into a capital market right here, right now, because you are paying for a college education. The return on that, if there is a return, isn't going to happen for at least a couple of years. And the peak of that, you're going to have an accelerated salary growth and its peak will not come for 20, 30, 40 years. So you are active investors in a capital market. And you are investors in a capital structure called yourself that will benefit way down the road from an investment you're making right now. You got it? Well, let's go a little early. That's all I have for you. I thank you for being here.